0: Chapter forty of The Innocents Abroad by Mark Twain This LibriVox recording is in the public domain This has been a stirring day. The Superintendent of the Railway put a train at our disposal and did us the further kindness of accompanying us to Ephesus and giving to us his watchful care. We brought sixty scarcely perceptible donkeys in the freight cars, for we had much ground to go over. We have seen some of the most grotesque costumes along the line of the railroad that can be imagined. I am glad that no possible combination of words could describe them, for I might then be foolish enough to attempt it. At ancient Ayesaluk, in the midst of a forbidding desert, we came upon long lines of ruined aqueducts and other remnants of architectural grandeur. It told us plainly enough that we were nearing what had been a metropolis once. We left the train and mounted the donkeys, along with our invited guests, pleasant young gentleman from the officers' list of an American man-of-war. The little donkeys had saddles upon them, which were made very high, in order that the riders' feet might not drag along the ground. The preventive did not work well in the cases of our tallest pilgrims, however. There were no bridles, nothing but a single rope, Tied to the bit. It was purely ornamental, for the donkey cared nothing for it. If he were drifting to starboard, you might put your heels down hard the other way, if it were any satisfaction to you to do it. But he would continue to drift to starboard all the same. There was only one process which could be depended upon, and that was to get down. "'Lift his rear around until his head pointed in the right direction, "'or take him under your arm and carry him to the part of the road "'which he could not get out of without climbing.' "'The sun flamed down as hot as a furnace, "'and neck scarves, veils, and umbrellas seemed hardly any protection. "'They served only to make the long procession look more than ever fantastic.' For be it known, the ladies were all riding astride because they could not stay on the shapeless saddles sideways. The men were perspiring and out of temper, their feet were banging against the rocks, the donkeys were capering in every direction but the right one, and being belabored with clubs for it, and every now and then a broad umbrella would suddenly go down out of the cavalcade, announcing to all that one more pilgrim had bitten the dust. It was a wilder picture than those solitudes had seen for many a day. No donkeys ever existed that were as hard to navigate as these, I think, or that had so many vile, exasperating instincts. Occasionally we grew so tired and breathless with fighting them that we had to desist and immediately the donkey would come down to a deliberate walk this with the fatigue and the sun would put a man to sleep and as soon as that man was asleep the donkey would lie down my donkey shall never see his boyhood home again he is laying down once too often he must die we all stood in the vast theater of ancient ephesus the stone benched amphitheater i mean and had our pictures taken we looked as proper there as we would look anywhere i suppose and we did not embellish the general desolation of a desert much we add what dignity we can to a stately ruin with our green umbrellas and jackasses but it is little however we mean well i wish to say a brief word about the aspect of Ephesus. on a high steep hill toward the sea is a gray ruin of ponderous blocks of marble wherein tradition says saint paul was imprisoned eighteen centuries ago from these old walls you have the finest view of the desolate scene where once stood ephesus the proudest city of ancient times and whose temple of diana was so noble in design and so exquisite of workmanship that it ranked high in the list of the seven wonders of the world behind you is the sea in front is a level green valley a marsh in fact extending far away among the mountains to the right of the front of the view is the old citadel of a on a high hill the ruined mosque of the sultan Selim stands near it on the plain this is built over the grave of saint john and was formerly christian church Further towards you is the hill of Pion, around whose front is clustered all that remains of the ruins of Ephesus that still stand. Divided from it by a narrow valley is the long, rocky, rugged mountain of Porteus. The scene is a pretty one, and yet desolate. For in that wide plain no one can live, and in it is no human habitation. But for the crumbling arches and monstrous piers and broken walls that rise from the foot of the hill of Pion, one could not believe that in this place once stood a city whose renown is older than tradition itself. It is incredible to reflect that things as familiar all over the world today as household words belong in the history and in the shadowy legends of this silent mournful solitude we speak of apollo and of diana they were born here They're the metamorphosis of the sphinx into a reed it was done here of the great god Pan, he dwelt in the caves of this hill of Coryceus. Of the Amazons, this was their best prized home. Of Bacchus and Hercules, both fought the warlike women here. Of the Cyclops, they laid the ponderous marble blocks of some of the ruins yonder. Of Homer, this was one of his many birthplaces. Of Sermon of Athens, of Alcibiades, Lysander, Agassilius, they visited here, so did Alexander the Great, so did Hannibal, and Antiochus, and Scipio, and Lucilius, and Scyla and Brutus, Cassius, Pompey, Cicero, and Augustus. Antony was a judge in this place, and left his seat in the open court while the advocates were speaking to run after Cleopatra, who passed the door. From this city these two sailed on pleasure excursions in galleys with silver oars and perfumed sails, and with companies of beautiful girls to serve them, and actors and musicians to amuse them. In days that seem almost modern, so remote are they from the early history of this city. Paul the Apostle preached the new religion here, and so did John. And here it is supposed the former was pitted against wild beasts. For in 1 Corinthians chapter thirty two he says if after the manner of men i have fought with beasts at ephesus etc when many men still lived who had seen the christ here mary magdalene died here the virgin mary ended her days with john albeit rome has since judged it best to locate her grave elsewhere six or seven hundred years ago almost yesterday as it were troops of mail-clad crusaders thronged the streets and to come down to trifles we speak of meandering streams and find a new interest in a common word we discover that the crooked river meander in yonder valley gave it to our dictionary it makes me feel as old as these dreary hills to look down upon these moss-hung ruins this historic desolation one may read the scriptures and believe but he cannot go and stand yonder in the ruined theater and the imagination people it again with the vanished multitudes who mobbed paul's comrades there and shouted with one voice great is Diana of the Ephesians. The idea of a shout in such a solitude as this almost makes one shudder. It was a wonderful city, this Ephesus. Go where you will about these broad plains. You find the most exquisitely sculptured marble fragments, scattered thick among the dust and weeds and protruding from the ground or lying prone upon it, are beautiful fluted columns of porphyry and all precious marbles. And at every step you find elegantly carved capitals and massive bases and polished tablets engraved with Greek inscriptions. It is a world of precious relics, a wilderness of marred and mutilated gems and yet what are these things to the wonders that lie buried here under the ground at constantinople at pisa in the cities of spain are great mosques and cathedrals whose grandest columns came from the temples and palaces of ephesus and yet one has only to scratch the ground here to match them you shall never know what magnificence is until this imperial city is laid bare to the sun. The finest piece of sculpture we have yet seen, and one that impressed us most, for we do not know much about art and cannot easily work up ourselves into ecstasies over it is one that lies in this old theatre of Ephesus, which St. Paul's Riot has made so celebrated. It is only the headless body of a man, clad in a coat of mail with a Medusa head upon the breastplate, but we feel persuaded that such dignity and such majesty were never thrown into a form of stone before what builders they were these men of antiquity the massive arches of some of these ruins rest upon piers that are fifteen feet square and built entirely of solid blocks of marble some of which are as large as a saratoga trunk and some the size of a boarding-house sofa they are not shells or shafts of stone filled inside with rubbish but the whole pier is a mass of solid masonry vast arches that may have been the gates of the city are built in the same way they have braved the storms and sieges of three thousand years and have been shaken by many earthquakes but still they stand and when they dig alongside of them they find ranges of ponderous masonry that are, are as perfect in every detail as they were the day those old cyclopean giants finished them an english company is going to excavate ephesus and then and now i'm reminded of the legend of the seven sleepers In the Mount of Pion yonder is the Cave of the Seven Sleepers. Once upon a time, about fifteen hundred years ago, seven young men lived near each other in Ephesus, who belonged to the despised sect of the Christians. It came to pass that the good King Maximilianus—I am telling this story for nice little boys and girls. IT CAME TO PASS, I SAY, THAT THE GOOD KING MAXIMILIANUS FELL TO PERSECUTING THE CHRISTIANS, AND AS TIME ROLLED ON HE MADE IT VERY WARM FOR THEM. SO THE SEVEN YOUNG MEN SAID ONE TO THE OTHER, LET US GET UP AND TRAVEL, AND THEY GOT UP AND TRAVELED. THEY TARRIED NOT TO BID THEIR FATHERS AND MOTHERS good bye, OR ANY FRIEND THEY KNEW. They only took certain monies which their parents had, and garments that belonged unto their friends, whereby they might remember them when far away. And they took also the dog Catmere, which was the property of their neighbor Malchus, because the beast did run his head into a noose which one of the young men was carrying carelessly, and they had not time to release him, so they took along also certain chickens that seemed lonely in the neighboring coops, and likewise some bottles of curious liquors that stood near the grocer's window, and then they departed from the city. By and by they came to a marvelous cave in the hill of Pion and entered into it and feasted, and presently they hurried on again with THEY FORGOT THE BOTTLES OF CURIOUS LIQUORS AND LEFT THEM BEHIND. THEY TRAVELED IN MANY LANDS AND HAD MANY STRANGE ADVENTURES. THEY WERE VIRTUOUS YOUNG MEN AND LOST NO OPPORTUNITY THAT FELL IN THEIR WAY TO MAKE THEIR LIVELIHOOD. THEIR MOTTO WAS IN THESE WORDS, NAMELY, PROCRASTINATION IS THE THIEF OF TIME. AND SO WHENEVER THEY DID COME UPON A MAN WHO WAS ALONE, THEY SAID, BEHOLD, THIS PERSON HATH WHEREWITHAL, LET US GO THROUGH HIM, AND THEY WENT THROUGH HIM. AT THE END OF FIVE YEARS THEY HAD WAXED TIRED OF TRAVEL AND ADVENTURE, AND LONGED TO REVISIT THEIR OLD HOME AGAIN, AND HEAR THE VOICES, AND SEE THE FACES THAT WERE DEAR UNTO THEIR YOUTH. Therefore they went through such parties as fell in their way where they sojourned at that time, and journeyed back toward Ephesus again. For the good king Maximilianus was become converted unto the new faith, and the Christians rejoiced because they were no longer persecuted. One day as the sun went down they came to the cave in the mount of pion and they said each to his fellow let us sleep here and go and feast and make merry with our friends when the morning cometh and each of the seven lifted up his voice and said it is a whiz so they went in and lo where they had put them there lay the bottles of strange liquors and they judged that age had not impaired their excellence wherein the wanderers were right, and the heads of the same were level. So each of the young men drank six bottles, and, behold, they felt very tired, and then lay down and slept soundly. When they awoke, one of them, Johannes, surnamed Smithianus, said, We are naked. And so it was, their raiment was all gone and the money which they had gotten from a stranger whom they had proceeded through as they approached the city was lying upon the ground corroded and rusted and defaced likewise the dog kethmer was gone nothing save the brass that was his collar remained they wondered much at these things but they took the money and they wrapped about their bodies some leaves and came up to the top of the hill. Then were they perplexed. The wonderful temple of Diana was gone. Many grand edifices they had never seen before stood in the city. Men in strange garbs moved about the streets, and everything was changed. Johannes said, It hardly seems like Ephesus yet. HERE'S THE GREAT GYMNASIUM, HERE'S THE MIGHTY THEATER WHEREIN I HAVE SEEN SEVENTY THOUSAND MEN ASSEMBLED, HERE'S THE AGORA, THERE'S THE FRONT WHERE THE SAINTED JOHN THE BAPTIST immersed THE CONVERTS, YONDER IS THE PRISON OF THE GOOD SAINT PAUL WHERE WE ALL DID USE TO GO TOUCH THE ANCIENT CHAINS THAT BOUND HIM AND BE CURED OF OUR DISTEMPERS, i see the tomb of the disciple luke and far off is the church wherein repose the ashes of the holy john where the christians of ephesus go twice a year to gather the dust from the tomb which is able to make bodies whole again that are corrupted by disease and cleanse the soul from sin but see but see how the wharves encroach upon the sea and what multitudes of ships are anchored in the bay. See also how the city hath stretched abroad, far over the valley beyond Pion, and even unto the walls of Asioluk. And lo, all the hills are white with palaces, and ribbed with colonnades of marble. How mighty is Ephesus become! And wondering at WHAT THEIR EYES HAD SEEN, THEY WENT DOWN INTO THE CITY, AND PURCHASED GARMENTS, AND CLOTHED THEMSELVES, AND WHEN THEY WOULD HAVE PASSED ON, THE MERCHANT BIT THE COINS WHICH THEY HAD GIVEN HIM, AND WITH HIS TEETH, AND TURNED ABOUT, AND LOOKED CURIOUSLY UPON THEM, AND CAST THEM UPON HIS COUNTER, AND LISTENED IF THEY RANG, AND THEN HE SAID, THESE BE BOGUS, AND THEY SAID, DEPART THOU TO HADES, AND WENT THEIR WAY. When they were come to their houses they recognized them, albeit they seemed old and mean, and they rejoiced and were glad. They ran to the doors and knocked, and strangers opened and looked inquiringly upon them, and they said with great excitement, while their hearts beat high, and the color in their faces came and went, Where is my father? Where is my mother? Where are Dionysius, and Seraphon, and Pericles, and Decius? And the strangers that opened said, We know not these. The seven said, How you know them not! How long have ye dwelt here? And whither are they that gone, that dwelt here before ye? And the strangers said, Ye play upon us with a jest, young men, we and our fathers have sojourned under these roofs these six generations the names ye utter rot upon the tombs and they that bore them have run their brief race have laughed and sung have borne the sorrows and the weariness that were allotted them and are at rest for nine score years the summers have come and gone and the autumn leaves have fallen since the roses faded out of the cheeks and they laid them to sleep with the dead then the seven young men turned them away from their homes and the strangers shut the doors upon them the wanderers marveled greatly and looked into the faces of all they met as hoping to find one that they knew but all were strange and passed them by and spake no friendly word they were sore distressed and sad presently they spake unto a citizen and said who is king in ephesus and the citizen answered and said whence come ye that know not that the great laertes reigns in ephesus they looked one at the other greatly perplexed and presently asked again where then is the good king maximilianus the citizen moved him apart as one who was afraid and said verily these men be mad and dream dreams else they would know that the king whereof they speak is dead above 200 years agone then the scales fell from the eyes of the seven and one said alas that we drank of the curious liqueurs they have made us weary, and in our dreamless sleep these two long centuries have we lain. Our homes are desolate, our friends are dead. Behold, the jig is up. Let us die. And that same day they went forth and laid them down and died, and in that self same day, likewise, seven up did cease in Ephesus. For that the seven that were up were down again and departed and dead withal and the names that be upon their tombs even unto this time are johannes smithianus trumps gift high and low jack and the game and with the sleepers lie also the bottles wherein once the curious liquors and upon them is writ in ancient letters such words as these, Dames of heathen gods Of olden time perchance, Rum-punch, Gin-sling, eggnog. Well, Such is the story Of the seven sleepers, With slight variations. And I know it is true, Because I have seen the cave myself. Really, So firm a faith Had the ancients this legend that as late as eight or nine hundred years ago learned travelers held it in superstitious fear. Two of them record that they ventured into it but ran quickly out again, not daring to tarry lest they should fall asleep and outlive their great-grandchildren a century or so. Even at this day the ignorant denizens of the neighboring country prefer not to sleep in it. end of chapter 40 recorded by B. Scott Holmes bscottholmes.com